sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Not just another. It is the 20th episode of My Bloody Podcast. You're hopefully go-to, go-to, go-to horror podcast. I'm your host, Preston Barta, and with me, as always, is one of my favorite people on this very planet, or on any planet, is uh, Mr. Brian Kluger. I'm always happy to have these horror discussions with you each week, and especially this film that we're doing this week, which is not necessarily a horror film, but it is a very bloody one at times, and kind of a goofy one, so I think it would be fun to explore this one, one that's a little smaller, probably a little less known and not like Scream at all, but just as fun. <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm so glad you watched this movie. I've seen this movie several times, uh, and I'm so glad you picked this out, and thank you again. I'm always glad to be talking with you and hanging out with you and talking horror movies and all that stuff. Oh, we have a good show today, and this is our 20th episode, right? Yep, number 20. Oh my goodness, 20. Two decades. Two decades into this podcast. One a year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and next episode, we are old enough to drink, So, and we need alcohol for a movie such as the one that we're talking about today. Yes, so we'll have to do it under the radar. Don't tell anybody. But woo, woo. Woo, yep. woo. <laughs> So, uh... Yeah, we've got we've got this movie coming up. We've got bloody recommendations, our bloody question, which is going to be awesome. So I'm curious, and then we got a bunch of news to talk about. What do we got first, man? Uh, probably the one that is most interesting to me because we like to bring it up uh, once a week. It's uh, latest news on Halloween, the new Halloween film by directed by David Gordon Green that's coming out this year, uh, next month actually. Um, so they released a new trailer earlier this week. And uh, we watched it. Hope you watched it. And so, Brian, what are your thoughts on uh, the more the new shots that we have, new character developments, more of an arc here? Everything's on display. So how do you feel about it all? Okay, so this Halloween uh, sequel, which takes place after the very first original Halloween by John Carpenter. And, yes, David Gordon Green, the guy who directed – uh, Joe and Pineapple, Pineapple Express. Express. Yeah, mm-hmm. making this. He wrote it with Danny McBride, yes, the comedian, and brought back Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm excited that uh, John Carpenter, the original filmmaker, is involved. Uh, but this new trailer, I gotta say, is so much fun and so good. I cannot wait. I did notice, I did notice, um, it looks like when everybody's saying this character, you know, this uh, this Mike Myers uh, character is evil, but it looks like he runs into a bunch of kids and he d- pays them no mind. He doesn't look like he's into killing kids. So this evil has to have like a line, like a like a editorial proverbial uh, line that he does not cross because it looks like he just kills adults and that he's not yeah. after kids. So I I, I picked up this picked up on this in the trailer Mm -hmm. because it shows like kids running into him and he's like "Eh, whatever and he's like oh i see an adult doing something in the kitchen but 
the the original soundtrack is in this trailer and it looks good and it just looks like okay Jamie Lee Curtis has turned into like a Sarah Connor figure from Terminator 2 and she is ready to kill Myers forever and just all the creepy stuff the silent you know pauses him appearing behind you i'm just excited this is a good trailer man i'm very i'm excited what about you yeah, uh, I guess to kind of go off, because of, you bring up an interesting point about, um, I guess, the kind of parallels with uh, Jason. You know how Jason, he's almost like a kid at heart and just has a specific agenda. Certain people that he kills, teenagers having sex, doing things that they shouldn't be doing because uh, they were doing that sort of shit when he got killed. And so Mike has a similar purpose and that shows in this trailer. And I really like how it's shot uh, from the opening scene that we see in this trailer. It shows him bumping into these kids. And I also love how the kids react to him. Like you, you can watch a movie and then feel like it's like scripted dialogue. These kids like react how you would if you actually bumped into some kids where they're just like, what? It's like they're, 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 they're having trouble to get the words out of their mouths. And it only adds to the realism in which what makes it even more haunting is that the camera stays with him. So it's all like one shot as he sees this woman come out of a, a shed and he uh, goes, Mike is like going underneath the, the fluorescent lights that are outside and you can hear the buzzing and he goes and grabs the hammer, essentially goes kill this woman. And then there's a bunch of nods in the trailer to, like, past films, other films in the Halloween franchise. And that's pretty cool. I love that. And, um, yeah, so I'm I'm very excited about it. I, I don't know. You can't, like, not like this trailer. So Yes. Now, do you think it gives too much away? Um, maybe, especially in the later or the latter half of the trailer where you can see that, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has the upper hand and like throws him down this, uh, basement area that, you know, we saw in the first trailer where she has like this, uh, like, uh, her kitchen, like in her kitchen, she has like this hidden room. And so I assume that's what she throws him down. And then we end on a shot of her leaning up against the door and then Michael, uh, Mike uh, punching through the glass that's on either side, which is almost kind of, uh, I wouldn't expect that to happen with her character now, especially after you see like so many shots of her setting up all these booby traps that she would just make a mistake like that. Uh, my, my wife and I were watching the trailer and she pointed that out and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like you, you would think that she would be a little smarter. And so I'm interested to see how that plays out and how she's backed into that corner. If they're going to address it as, or if it's just a weak spot in the film, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. I'm, I'm just excited about it. I, that's all I know. It, it was good. If you haven't seen it, look up the Halloween 2018 trailer. Number two, it's everywhere. Uh, get excited for it. I'm excited yeah. about this. Um, this, this next bit of news uh, definitely warms my heart. Uh, 
the thriller music video, John Landis's thriller music video, the Michael Jackson video, the best video music video of all time, really, is heading mm-hmm. to IMAX 3D ahead of the movie The House with the Clock and Its Walls, uh, which is super cool. I do remember hearing John Landis saying that they were going to redo or not redo like, like restore restore uh in 4k and all this other stuff the thriller music video and you know what i want to go see imax 3d the house with the clock in its walls just for this thriller music video because i've never seen a thriller music video in imax and i'm a huge fan of michael jackson so this is all sorts of cool i hope and they john don't landis. yes and john landis john landis is awesome um I just hope that they don't do like a Spielberg uh, slash George Lucas thing where they like change shit in it. Uh, that's that's my biggest fear, but it doesn't seem like Landis would do that. So here's hoping. Yeah, I don't think he would. I, I read a quote where he said that he his whole idea is to kind of make it feel like when Dorothy goes to Oz and it's like adding color. And so that's the the whole idea. So my guess is just going to be like this ultimate restoration that's just going to look good in 3D. And uh, honestly, I don't really have much interest in seeing the house with the clock in its walls. Um, So I don't know if it's really worth it for me to pay a ticket. I'd almost want to – this sounds awful. Please, if you're a studio head or a theater guy – or maybe they'll, if I go see the house on the house with the clock on its walls, uh, that they have a screener and I don't re- really have to pay for it. And then they show the thriller video ahead of that. That would be nice. Otherwise, I don't really want to see that movie. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the trailer for the house with the clock on its walls or anything that looks like it's whatever it is. Uh, meh, but. For Michael Jackson, I'll go see it most likely. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I just want to see it in IMAX. If I have to pay, you know, 20 bucks to go see Thriller Music Video, I will. And then I'll leave. Um, so, so yes, yes. Uh, this next bit of news, I watched this trailer. There's a new trailer coming out called The Wind. And, uh, yeah, it is... Um, Caitlin Gerard is um, stars in it, who was an Insidious Last Key, and is the directorial debut of Emma Tammy. Um, but this horror film called The Wind, it looks suspiciously like M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, but maybe a little better. But I, <laughs> my. my my uh, shield is up on this uh, <laughs> hardcore because just don't. I mean, the trailer looks good enough, but so did the happening, and we all know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, well, the difference is here that the cat's out of the bag. We know it's the wind; it's in the title, and so that element of surprise won't seem so stupid. And then I think that's what <laughs> made the happening so stupid, outside of uh, some. I guess intentional bad acting. I don't know what the goal was there, um, but that movie is just fun to watch because it's so bad. Um, but the wind seems like it's really trying to evoke certain feelings, and so and I kind of like the idea of 
there being something out there that causes people to be paranoid and go crazy and do whatever they have to do. I don't think they're just going to simply kill themselves like they do in the happening, even though it's as so funny to think about the one scene where that guy kills himself by laying flat on the ground, getting run over by a lawnmower. But um, I guess the setting of this, like being like a period piece and like, like the old days, Western type 1800s uh, has me a little more intrigued um, just because it's not, well, th- that type of setting, I love that kind of, those kind of movies. And so um, throwing a horror element into it, I'm just curious to know how it'll play out. And so the film's got some creepy moments and it's got some, it's got like a sense of dread and, uh, fear that uh, has me invested. So I'll check it out. Yeah, so it's it's making its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival and our mm-hmm. uh, our third amigo, uh, James Cole Clay, is there, I believe. Will he be seeing this? I don't know if he's seeing this. Uh, he's seen some other films, not of the horror genre yet, but he will be seeing Halloween, so we can have him on the show in the future to talk about that, when, and especially when we go see it at uh, Fantastic Fest together, since that's the opening night film. But uh, I'm not sure what horror movies he's seen. Uh, it kind of just changes by the day, but he's seen some pretty good dramas thus far, and so I'm sure he could tell us more about that when we talk to him. I'm excited. We miss you, Cole. Uh, this next little bit of news. Okay, so this next bit of news has to deal like indirectly with the movie American Psycho that starred Christian Bale, and that is one of my favorite movies of all time, American Psycho. Um, I love the book by Brett Easton Ellis, and I actually liked the movie quite a bit. It was funny in all the right places. Uh and, you know, always still trying to make that reservation at Dorzia. But I guess that director, what's her name? I'm trying to remember. Um, I can't remember off the top uh, of my I'm head I'm going to look real quick, but yeah. Uh, she just hasn't made many movies. Yeah, she has. so it's, she's not in the culture conversation, so I can't remember her name. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, but her name is Mary Heron, H-A-R-R-O-N, Mary and um, she directed, I believe, the recent or a couple of, ten years ago, the, that notorious Betty Page movie. Um, mm. And she's directed, you know, a few episodes here and there, mostly. Uh, but yeah, she did do American Psycho, and she's coming back to the horror film arena with what movie now? It's called the, or at least this is what the the book that the film is allegedly based on. It's called The Orange Eats Creeps. Um, I don't know why when I first read that title, I immediately thought of uh, Trump, but <laughs> I did. But uh, what what's uh, what's funny about this is that it's supposedly there's a lot of argument on the internet. Because they throw away, throw around the word vampire a lot, but some people have said, "I don't know if it's vampire or not." So I don't know. I'm really confused by the conversation, but it's supposedly about a hobo, a band of hobo vampire junkies. And so this story, which uh, came out in the '90s, is uh, yeah about a band of hobo vampire junkies who roam the woods 
and are strung out on meth and they're cruising like underground rock concerts in like uh, hallucinatory days. Like they're just high and taken in the, the rock concert scene. And it's more specifically about a girl with um, drug induced EPS who is searching for her lost foster sister and has a surreal vision of her lost life, and it's a narrative that is disjointed, fragmented, and surprisingly touching, uh, according to, like, one book reviewer. Um, So, yeah, with that talent behind it, I like American Psycho a lot. I haven't seen Notorious Betty Page, but um, for how crazy and great American Psycho is, I trust that this will be just as interesting, hopefully. Um, I don't, something like this, that's kind of seems really bare bones on the surface. I hope it doesn't seem too repetitive because it it seems like it can, I'm saying seems a lot, but it go, it seems like it can just be the same thing over and over again and it could wear out its welcome. But I hope that this filmmaker brings some uh, interesting elements to it. Yeah, I I agree. I'm I I love her vision of American Psycho. It was excellent, and really haven't seen much of her since Notorious Betty Page, and I like that a lot. So I got the faith in this movie, um, and it sounds fun as hell. So I'm all yeah. in. Oh, show. Cool. Cool. So I don't know if they said when that'll come out. So I imagine like maybe next year or so. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Cool. Um, should we move it? Because we've both seen this movie uh, that I want to talk about briefly. Um, and our opinions are on the complete opposite end of each other. Uh, so let's talk about The Nun, which is <laughs> opening this weekend. And it is the fifth film in the now Conjuring universe, since now we're. The first Conjuring film set up all these different – it's got, got a toy aisle in it basically where they just got all, all kinds of things that they can play with now. And so we had the Annabelle films. Uh, first one sucked. Second one's great. And, and now we have The Nun, which is taken from Conjuring 2. And uh, then it was teased – The Nun was teased at the end of the second Annabelle film. So this is where we are in the universe and – um, you say your piece and then I'll try to back it up or not back it up. I'll, uh, argue against you. <laughs> <laughs> My strong opening statement here. Okay. Coming in as worst movie of the year so far, the nun oh, damn. fails to impress on every level. And I don't say this lightly either because like Preston said, uh, I, we're both big, huge horror genre fans, and I do believe Conjuring, Conjuring 2, Annabelle, Annabelle mm-hmm. Creation are decent movies. Are actually, probably some of the best ones around, I would imagine, uh, like modern day-wise. Um, but we were introduced to this demonic nun in The Conjuring 2, uh, which was excellent, probably the best part of that film. But now we have its own film. It's not like an origin story. It's not even like really a prequel. It's just kind of like something that happened in her timeline somewhere. Uh, But the film is so horrendous that I actually started to enjoy it on some comedic level uh, because of how bad it is. Um, 
the movie takes place in 1952 in Romania, and it seems like technology had not made its way there yet, which was really weird. And we were introduced to this like Hogwarts-sized abbey uh, that becomes the subject of an investigation after a nun kind of sacrifices herself in a gruesome way. So they send along um, a priest and an almost nun who is played by uh, Vera Farmiga's sister, who Vera Farmiga is in the Conjuring movies. Um, she plays this like young nun who goes there and just all sorts of things happen. But when all these things happen, it's done in such a terrible way where you just kind of hear creepy music. Somebody walks down a hallway and then you see creepy ass nuns or demonic nuns. And then of course, like in a split second, they're not there anymore. And that's basically the whole movie. There's that, there's one point in the film where this dude priest is basically forced into this open coffin six feet under, and he is, it's, like, locked, and he's, like, down in there, kind of, like, Kill Bill style. And he is found, he's alive, uh, you know, within a matter of minutes after this young, you know, like, 16-year-old nun digs him out of there, and she goes, how the hell did you get in there? And, like, with a blank stare, he goes, this, these grounds are haunted. Oh, look. There's books that might tell us. And, oh, ooh, good God. And then there's other other parts of the movie where they try to take themselves seriously, but they it wasn't because it was blatantly funny where one of, like, the comic relief characters sort of uh, notices, like, there's the blood of Christ somewhere. And they say, oh, this is the blood of Christ. And he goes, Christ? Jesus Christ? And, oh, man, or when he says, holy shit, and the priest goes, the holiest. And I, uh, it, that's where I started to enjoy it. But I was hoping they would go to kind of like it, the movie would click into almost the second half of From Dust Till Dawn type of thing. And it never did. It never got funny. Um, but, yes, I think this is just – it was just bad. And so in, in conclusion – the connection they make with this movie to The Conjuring is very reminiscent of the Martha Martha fiasco from the DC Universe, in my opinion. Um, skip this movie. Forget it was ever released. <laughs> I don't know why they did it. And towards the end of the film, you're going to see a lot of nuns with, like, a black pantyhose over their face. Uh, which tells me they just ran out of budget because through the rest of the movie, you see all these nuns with like horrific looking faces. And then towards at one point, there's like, Oh, their places are blocked out by black pantyhose. They lost the budget. Ugh, terrible. I'm out. Don't go see it. <laughs> Preston. I can't wait to hear what you had to say. <laughs> uh, I do not. Um, well, I don't have an argument really against much of what you say. I mean, all your points are pretty valid, but I, I just enjoyed it for how messy it was. I enjoyed all those uh, comedy moments that you brought up, especially the holy shit, uh, the holiest. I, uh, I laughed about that later that night. (laughs) To quote Anchorman. Um, yeah, the movie's very, very messy, and I, th- I think there's just a big problem with crafting haunted house demonic entity stories today, um, because everything's kind of been done. But we feel that 
the same way about zombie films too. And yet there's other people that will come along and find ways to kind of shake it up. Here's some, here's a filmmaker. Uh, I think his name is Corin Hardy or Corin. something like that. Yes. Uh, he did a, he did a movie called the, the halo or the hallow, uh, back in 2015, Irish monster movie. That was pretty good. And, he uh, doesn't really bring anything new to it. And um, I had a phone interview with Jonas, I can't even think of his last name, Bloket. Uh, I think that's his last name. Uh, he's that uh, comic relief character that uh, Brian was talking about. His name is uh, Frenchie in the film. And so I talked to him because he was the best part of the film to me, just because for something that's so familiar like he brought at least some kind of fun to the film and even though like a lot of it can be awkward especially like early on with his character uh we when we um see that father burke and sister irene come to this abbey they, uh, you know, they hear about the, the, the nun who killed herself and they hear that the, the ground is no longer holy and they just want to kind of investigate that naturally. So the, the story is so similar to everything that's kind of been in the Conjuring franchise. Something's uh, wicked's going on and some people with good hearts come in to cast out the evil. And so when we run into Frenchie, he has like the nightmare of his life and envisions like buckets of blood going out on a stairwell because that's where we find uh, this uh, nun that's mur- that kills herself at the beginning of the film. And then he immediately goes from that to flipping on the charm switch in a very awkward way by <laughs> – saying you look so beautiful to sister Irene and it it it's I had a discussion with him about how it, his character reminded me a little bit uh not as good obviously but of Han Solo because <laughs> Han Solo will uh like early Han Solo like the original trilogy he'll he'll uh he's not afraid to run away from especially in the first Star Wars film you know when he's running yeah to account well not really horror movies but understands that the audience is going like guy don't go in there no don't do that he'll at least run away from it at times and so i appreciated that um so there's there's small little things here and there and i'd be lying if there was wasn't a few parts that were chilling like you know once you get to the end of it you may be like well, you know, it's not it, it doesn't hold as much water as a scene from The Conjuring, but it still caused that fear to surface in me and I and I can't discount that. And so that's what made me still appreciate it even though that the the mo- horror all the horror elements that we know in this kind of genre, you know, creaky floors, slamming doors, people in the background, um, faces in windows, that sort of thing. It's all been done before, but 
it's still somewhat effective here. I don't think it's the worst movie I've seen this year, but I certainly don't think it's the best. So I think it's somewhere between the first Annabelle film, which is total dog shit. And then you got the conjuring films, which are great. And the second Annabelle film, which is also good. So it's somewhere in between. I think there's some enjoyment that can be had in it. I just didn't take it super serious, even though the film itself, like Brian said, uh, takes itself serious. And then other times it doesn't, I just kind of enjoyed the, the mess for what it was. And so that's where I sit. Yeah, I, I get your I get your points. I just they've done such a good job with the previous films in this whole kind of franchise and they just really dropped the ball. They rushed it. It feels cheap and lazy. And there were just so many moments where I was like, Oh, they could have added a funny bit here. They they should have had the character react differently. It was like constant throughout. Uh and you know, I can only see you know, the scary nun so many times her only bit is basically open her mouth and hiss at you yeah. like a cat. You know, yeah. the, the, she's, she's like, it, I guess that's a, another problem with a lot of horror films is like, um, they got like 20 minutes of story and they stretch it out into an hour and a half or two hours. And it doesn't, that, that fill out doesn't really work here. It's almost like, you know, finding Dory, uh, Dory is great in finding Nemo because she's she like pops up every once in a while and is enjoyable. But if you focus on the entire character, there's nothing to her. And so my guess is that down the line, they may do like the nun creation colon creation like they did with <laughs> Annabelle and maybe will provide more of an origin story for you to um, better like. Um, I mean, they do. I, it's yeah the Martha moment. Um, the, the connection is is not as is not that bad. Um, it, <laughs> um, it, I think the films are finding unique ways to try to connect with it. This one was a little more lazy in comparison to like Annabelle Creation, which finds um, a unique way to connect to the first Annabelle film while being a pre the second one being a prequel. And so this timeline can get so confusing, but I think they're trying to find ways to make it, the universe feel bigger and uh, kind of like uh, insidious Two that James Wan did. I don't like that movie very much, but any plot holes that were in the first film were addressed in the second one. And so they're, they're, they're trying uh, it works sometimes. It doesn't others. And this one was a hit and miss. And but I still enjoyed it. So, well, I'm sorry you it. enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> do you, so. Do you recommend people that spend their hard-earned money on this movie, or wait for like Netflix or video? No, no, no. I, I would wait. I don't think it's – but the thing is, is like no matter what horror movie it is, it's always best to kind of experience it in theater. But I don't know. I've also had really good experiences of especially the first Conjuring film when my wife and I moved in our, our first house um, on the first night that we stayed there because it was a bigger house. We were so used to being in an apartment. Uh, we chose to watch the first Conjuring film, and that was probably the scariest experience I've had watching that film. 
because my, my house felt bigger. And so every noise felt, uh, enhanced. And, uh, so it can be done. So, uh, I, I guess it's just up to the viewer if they enjoy horror movies in theaters and being with an audience, especially one such as this, that has those comedic moments, it might be funnier to watch with an audience. Um, but then also you might be walking out of the theater and then hearing other people like Brian saying that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And then you may secretly be like me. Who's like, I kind of, I kind of liked it. So, um, (laughs) so you could be alone with your opinions watching it at home. So I guess it's just up to you, uh, based off of past experiences. There you go. That's the nun for you. All right. Are we up for our bloody question? Yes. Yes. All right. So this week I thought if you could live inside one horror movie, whether it's based on like a better ratio of survival or because you like the characters in general and wouldn't mind dying in the movie, I guess that movie universe, um, which film would you pick? So, Brian, what would, what movie would you pick? And I know I thought about this the night I saw this movie way back long ago at a screening um, that I would love to be a part of this world. And that world and movie are Shaun of the Dead. I want to be part – I want to live in that world. I want to live in that world and hang out with uh, Shaun and his friends – and be at the pub, enjoy life, and then I can run around with a cricket bat and just kill zombies that seem so easy to kill and just run around. Um, yeah, that that's the world I want to live in, just because Sean is a funny guy. It looks like uh, him and Nick Frost, Ed, I guess, uh, are hilarious and fun to hang out with. And I would love to go through records and throw them at zombies and... Uh, yeah, and it looks like in that world, they kind of got a hang uh, or a hold on the zombie epidemic, and they're kind of fun, and you can use them for things. Uh, I just, I, I'm in. I'm all in for Shaun of the Dead, uh, living in that world and being friends with those guys, because I feel like my survival rate would be very high in that situation, uh, and I would have a lot of fun in it, because it seems kind of like realistic, uh, but even better, because you get to kill zombies. So, yeah, that's me. Preston, what about you? What horror movie would you want to live inside? Well, yours is very good. Um, However, I just don't think I would want to face zombies any which way because I'm going with the knowledge of the movie and what they accomplished by the end. And so I feel like I would be more confident taking on zombies. But if you are that unlucky bastard that gets his intestines all ripped out – then you are that unlucky bastard. Um, so <laughs> I would, I would pick Jaws, and Jaws is my favorite horror movie of all time. I've said that before, and I just have a thing about. I guess I want to be kind of like Batman, you know, take on your greatest fear because sharks are pretty much my greatest fear ever since I was a kid, and I've, and I've said this before too. I'm swimming in swimming pools. I was scared that a shark was in there. And so 
you know, there, you could be cheap and say, well, I know that there's a big shark out there. I'll just stay on the beach. But no, I would think in this scenario, I would have to be one of the people that's on the boat. And so I enjoy those guys. And I would just like to be a part of their banter and then hear uh, all the stories um, that they have to say, especially when they're talking about their different scars and everything like that. Um, and the, it's it would just be unpredictable. And I kind of in, I would enjoy that uh, aspect to it. And so. And I think I would have, given that that's, you know, like how you said, the sharks, I mean, not not the sharks, the zombies are kind of slow moving. If I was facing the shark that was in 1975's Jaws, that feels like a big prosthetic and machine thing versus like something like the Megalodon, I would, (laughs) I think I would have a pretty good shot of taking it on, um, I mean, I would always have the knowledge of LL Cool J stabbing it with a cross in the eye, <laughs> like Deep Blue Sea. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take on Jaws. So, uh, yeah, Jaws. It would be super fun to be in that little boat uh, at, at night drinking with all those guys and talking about everything and hearing, like, Quint tell us about his past I think I would have more courage to challenge uh, uh, why am I spacing on his name right now? Uh, The old man, not old man, the older guy. That's not. Yeah, yeah, Quinn. Um, To challenge his stupidity (laughs) and his decisions, uh, maybe to the point where he would probably tie me up. Or throw me overboard. Because <laughs> um, the other guys, you know, they, they feel like they're out of their element a little bit. And so they're not going to challenge him on it. But, again, this may be me developing this courage because I've seen the whole movie. Um, but who knows how I would react if I didn't have the knowledge of the film and just was thrown into it. So, but I would still take on the shark. Yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. I like that question. Yeah, Jaws is awesome. Uh, and Shaun of the Dead. Please let us know what uh, movies you would want to live in and uh, interact with the characters for all time. Uh, hopefully somebody says Salo, because <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, moving on to Bloody Recommendations. I'm very excited about this. Um, who wants to go first on this? You or me? I'll go. Okay. I am going to pick, it's not super bloody, but it is one of the creepiest movies I've seen. And it's kind of stuck in my mind ever since it came out in 2002. And that is One Hour Photo. I love that movie so much. With the late and great Robin Williams. And uh, I think it's kind of a really interesting movie to watch nowadays, given everything that's going on in the world. And, and then Facebook, because of everybody's, you know, everybody posting their lives uh, for everyone to see. That's their friends with their, with their photos and uh, their posts, and statuses, whatever. Um, so this story is about um, 
Well, actually, it's a story of fascination and an obsession, and it's a very good film, like I said, for now, because it delves into what's considered acceptable by society's standards today, because we have uh, Robin Williams playing um, Cy, and uh, actually his name is Seymour Parrish, which is uh, kind of funny because his name was Alan Parrish in uh, The Jungle Book, not Jungle Book, Jumanji. Yeah, and he works at this uh, one-hour photo place naturally because of the, t- the title. And uh, you know, back then when people actually got their photos developed, I mean, you still can do it, but it's not as common because people have access to their own printers and print out their pictures, or they just leave all their shit stored in their hard drives. Um, but he has an obsession with this one particular family uh, in the film and uh, the Yorkin family. And so he, at his house, like he's able to like have all their photos because they'll come in, have stuff developed and, you know, you can make doubles and just keep the other one uh, as a safety, you know, in case like one photo went bad, they have another sort of thing. And so he keeps all the doubles and, has the photos at his house and he's able to kind of just fantasize like what life would be like to be in that family. And so it's a husband and a wife slash mother and then their child. And uh, the mother is played by uh, Connie Nelson. And then the father is played by, uh, I can't try to remember his name, but he's, he's in never been kissed. He was the love interest in that film. Yeah. I remember who that is. Yeah. Um, so I like, I, I like him a lot and, uh, never been kissed, but so, um, Cy has, like I said, has a, starts having fantasies about being, being with this family, not necessarily wants to replace the husband, just like wants to be that uncle that's just there. And because he's so lonely and begins to think about, you know, moments from his past and kind of filling it in. It's almost like, you know, when you, especially nowadays, when you binge watch TV shows, you almost, you watch it so much and you think about it so much. It's been like, uh, like my wife and I, we watch The Office a lot. And you feel like a lot of those characters are your family. And then almost you'll confuse like what happens in the show with what happens in real life. Like you'll think of a memory. This has happened with a friend of mine. We used to watch Entourage religiously and he would be like, he's like, do you remember that one time? And he was describing a scene from the show. I was like, dude, that was on Entourage. And so that, that's pretty much the idea with, with Psy. Like he is just like creating his own uh, reality with them. And, um, I think we can all kind of relate to that to some level, you know, when we go to the mall to people watch, or if you still do that sort of thing, or if you creepily stalk people on Facebook and just think about like, man, where, what is going on with their lives? And I wonder what it would be like to be in their shoes because we're all guilty of doing that. And so that, that's what the movie kind of asks, um, like how, like what's acceptable behavior and except, you know, nowadays you got to do it more so behind closed doors and it's not as, you know, 
can be found out with physical photos and, and how it plays out with the film. But the film kind of takes like more of a dark turn toward the end um, when obsession be- can become too much um, because uh, the father in the film, we learn, uh, has a relationship with another woman. And then Sai feels like, oh, is this my responsibility to share this information with the family? Because at this point, even though the, the family does not feel the same way towards him because they don't know him other than just being the guy that's at the counter when they get their photos developed. But he feels like he knows them because he's seen their entire life uh, through these photos. And so he feels like it's his responsibility to kind of to tell the wife and, and then also wants to fill any uh, hole in the life of their son uh, of being like the, the kind of uncle that would just give uh, their nephew uh, toys or whatever interests them because maybe they're not paying enough attention to him and they take life too much for granted and so it's kind of like a wake-up call, too, um, in more ways than one. But the, the creepy thriller horror elements kind of come more into play toward the end, um, and it becomes even more creepy, you know, watching it now, uh, nowadays versus when it came out in 2002 because of everything that's going on in the world, like I said. But it's um, there's only like one scene that's bloody and he has like this unexplained uh, dream sequence where blood's coming out of his eyes and mouth and it's never quite, like I said, never explained. And so, but other than that, it's just like a movie that kind of makes you feel uneasy. And I think those kind of feelings are uh, some of the most horrific feelings out there. Uh, You know, last week I was talking about Zodiac and, um, the the stabbing sequence in that film makes you feel uneasy, but it's not played in a way that's like, you know, like a slasher film or something like that. They're, they don't show the couple like having a great time um, like they do in like the Jason films and then get killed. Uh, there's more of a reality there. And so this movie's more real, uh, more uh, cl- in line with what, could like really happen in real life and so and i think that makes it more of a um, horrific and so yeah that's my bloody recommendation for the week yeah i really love that movie one hour photo um and you know i've seen that movie so many times and i remember seeing it in the theater at least two or three times and his performance is so nuanced and like gentle but yet kind of really scary and tragic all at the same time but in the end of the film you feel like this character that ron williams plays is actually a decent and good guy yeah yeah uh, and that's the thing that I, that i'm hinting at um like at what point is behavior like this acceptable because it's it's like it's wrong is a it's wrong at least from my perspective, it's wrong for people to, you know, keep the photos. And, uh, but there's no harm in on Facebook looking through other people because you have access to all that stuff. And so, um, but you sympathize with him because he can't make actual connections with people. And so, um, like everything that he knows, he, there's like a book that the mother likes and then he, 
shows that he pretends like he's reading it and knows all about it and as a way to kind of know the woman, know the mother. And then the, the boy talks about this toy and he buys him the toy. And so everything's kind of like artificial. There's nothing like genuine about those uh, relationships. But yeah, um, it's a good film. One hour photo. Good deal. Good deal. I like it. All right, my bloody recommendation of the week kind of goes hand-in-hand with Surf Nazis Must Die. Um, I'm going to recommend a film from Troma, the the movie studio Troma, who also did Surf Nazis Must Die. Uh, This movie is called Class of Nukem High, Subhumanoid Meltdown. I'll repeat that. Class of Nukem High, Subhumanoid Meltdown. And yes... Uh, super fun, guys. If you're into really ridiculous, very low-budget, gory, funny <laughs> movies. Um, so, one of Troma's bigger franchises next to Toxic, Toxic Avenger um, are the Nukem High movies. Uh, there have been several of them, and they all have that kind of special and unique trauma insanity, which includes blood, guts, laughs, and tons of nudity. Uh, the first class of Nukem High came out in 1986. It was pretty straightforward forward for, like, trauma. The sequel, which came out in 1991, was a completely different animal altogether uh, with a new director who wanted to make basically his own Nukem High movie. Um, it wasn't really a direct sequel, but he tried something new. Um, so... Like most trauma sequels, things tend to go berserk uh, in a chaotic manner uh, where a smoother story is left to kind of rot in the corner. There's really no rhyme or reason to any of it. It's all it's all about monsters, boobs, and gore, um, especially this time around. But I'm really not complaining because I love this stuff and I love trauma. Um, so basically the big corporation, Nukama, decides to build a new technology college where Tromaville High School, like Tromaville High School, once stood called Tromaville Institute of Technology or TIT for short. That's what we're dealing with here. Geniuses. Um, so, uh, of course, being Troma, the student body consists mostly of naked women and a gang called the Squirrels. Uh, basically all of them are fighting. Um, there's a professor in charge of this subhumanoid, uh, program, which is basically mutating humans into these monstrous creatures that have no emotions and are expected to perform easy tasks. Kind of like a Shaun of the Dead type of thing in the end. Um, so... This kind of happens as some humanoids tend to melt to death at any given moment, hence the title Subhumanoid Meltdown. The school reporter uh, reports on everything and comes across one of these uh, subhumanoids and ends up falling in love with her. Uh, when he finds, about, uh, finds out about this melting condition, he sets out to stop this professor and find a cure. Um, And in the middle of the movie, and throughout the movie, there is a giant city, uh, like a gigantic, kind of like big as a skyscraper, mutated evil squirrel named Tromi that breaks out and tries to destroy everything. It's so much fun. Oh my goodness. Uh, This is a movie that's not going to be for everybody, but if you love like kind of the horror genre, the silliness, the campy feeling, nudity, monsters... 
silly gore of all different colors, I highly recommend this movie. Uh, you're going to have a lot of fun with it because it's just so ridiculous. If you look up pictures of Nukem uh, High 2 subhumanoid meltdown, you're going to be, you're going to love it. And there's tons of extras on it. Commentaries, interviews, music videos. Uh, there's even a James Gunn interview about it. Uh, or James Gunn interview is interviewed for the movie. Um, it's pretty cool. But yes, uh, this movie is quite fun. It came out in 2015. Highly recommended. It's on Blu-ray. Uh, you're good. It, it's good stuff. But yeah, I think this kind of leads us in to our main event topic: Surf Nazis must die because it's kind of, kind of all in the same kind of wheelhouse here. What do you think, Preston? Are you a big kind of trauma fan or kind of this certain subgenre type of fan? Mm, um, I guess it just depends. Um, you know, normally I don't really go for these like so bad it's good kind of films. Um, especially nowadays when my time's a little more limited, but, uh, it can be fun. Uh, like once you take the plunge and you're already in it, uh, it can be enjoyable, but I never like seek out, uh, films like this. And so I think that's w- why I kind of wanted to do it this week because the title alone is so ridiculous, um, that it, it basically tells you everything you really need to know about the movie. Surf Ninjas, or Surf Ninjas. Hey, that's, I guess that's the crossover here. Surf Ninjas <laughs> meets Romeo Must Die meets Sinner's List or something. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I enjoyed this movie a lot, uh, especially one character in particular. And I think it's pretty obvious who that one is. Uh, that is Mama. <laughs> She's so fantastic in this film. Mama um, she at least seems like she's having <coughs> the most fun and uh, is enjoying all the insanity of it all. Because the person to really blame the most, aside from like the director and writer, is the editor uh, of this movie. Because um, uh, I guess we can kind of tell tell you first a little bit about the movie. Um, actually, Brian, I'd like to know what, what your plot description of this film would be. So basically, um, (laughs) there's, there's like a natural disaster that kind of leaves California (laughs) in a worse state than it is. Yeah. Um, there was a, an earthquake, supposedly a eight point six. I think that's what said in the film, uh, earthquake that killed thousands of people and made them either, they're either dead or they're homeless yes. or, or they're surf Nazis Correct. or other gang people. Yeah. So there's a group of Nazis led by a dude named Adolf. <laughs> he's, yep. he's proclaimed himself the Fuhrer of the coastal line of the beach and basically, uh, he takes advantage of um, getting his his gang of Nazis to fight off other surfer gangs on the beach and ocean. Uh, but meanwhile, there's um, kind of like an every an every guy Joe. He I think he worked on an oil well, and he is killed by these surf Nazis while jogging on the beach and. Uh, this guy's mother, who we referred to as Mama Washington, 
is devastated in Val's revenge. So she becomes Mama Wick. Yeah, she is basically John Wick, and she like straps herself up with tons of fucking weapons, like John Wick, and sets out to kill some people. <laughs> yeah, so pretty complex film here. Uh, they got a gang war going on. And then this mom who's coming between them all to uh, just uh, take anybody out who was involved with the killing of her son, Leroy. Um, <laughs> and how they explain or I guess they even show that Leroy dies is that that's what I'm getting at with the editing. There's like so many scenes in this movie where it just ends so abruptly and like almost like mid like, for instance, uh, before I get to the scene of Leroy getting killed, um, there's this scene where all the gangs in the area are having this meeting and you you aren't you aren't uh, introduced to each gang. You, you just see them. It's almost like the film expects you to know who they are from the way that they're shot. Um, and then later on in the film, we, we begin to know their names and we're like connecting the dots ourselves. Um, like one of the gangs is like the pipeline gang and, um, they, and a lot of these uh, gang members don't dress like gang members or don't dress how you think that they would. Like one of them's like a tie dye group. I think, <laughs> Oh, what was their names? Uh, I wrote it down. Uh, designer waves. That, yes. that was their, that was their name. Yeah. And the pipeliners. Um, and so, yeah, the pipeliners are really good at hiding in pipes, pipelines. Um, and then they got the samurai, uh, not, uh, not Nazis, but the samurai surfers. It, and so, it, yeah, it yeah, almost seems like that movie, the warriors, but done by trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not a lot of thought. Uh, the logic is shit um, all throughout this film. They say a lot of things that don't make sense. Um, but yeah, during that gang scene where they're all getting together, um, Adolf like shows up uh, on a forklift, I guess, kind of like the music video for, I think it's Beat It, right? Or is it bad? One of the Michael Jackson's uh, videos starts yeah. off like that. Um and he puts on a cape and everything. It's really funny, but ridiculous at the same time. And so he's basically just telling these, all these uh, different gangs that they should just join him and just uh, make their – let all their powers combine so they become Captain Planet, um, Captain Nazi, I guess, and, and rule the beach together. But um, the scene is ended abruptly that we don't see how that plan carried out or anything. <laughs> like what, what, what the hell happened? What, what did they discuss? Like one of the guys that's in that pipeliners gang, um, says something like, uh, uh, you don't deserve to Adolf. Like you don't deserve the power. You wouldn't know what to do with it. And then some guy, uh, Brutus, I think that's his name. Um, he's like, hanging up in the top like Hawkeye and like shoots him with like this harpoon gun, uh, doesn't shoot him, but shoots at him to kind of scare him. And then that's what kind of, uh, ends the scene. And then there's like all other types of weird stuff that happens. Like there's like a random ass sex scene that happens on the beach where Adolf, who is, uh, alluded to be a homosexual the entire time, but well, he looks just... like Freddie Mercury. Like... Yeah. 
big yep. mustache, the aviator, like in his outfit. It's just really funny. <laughs> yeah, and some of the people like because uh, the, there's the the girl, his uh, his woman uh, named Ava, his girlfriend, and um, uh, so they have a sex scene together. But then, like earlier on in the film, like somebody else would be like, "Where's your?" This is excuse me for using this language. Uh, "Where's your faggot boyfriend?" <laughs> and then, and then she's just like, uh, "You know, he's not here." You know, whatever. Like, just just doesn't take doesn't find that offensive at all. And then like another part, like he's like, is your boyfriend at a gay bar? He's like, yeah. And, and <laughs> it makes no just, sense. <laughs> yeah. Nothing makes sense. And then like, uh, in that sex scene, like one of the younger, uh, surf, uh, Nazis is like creepily watching them have sex. Um, and then like, sometimes like somebody will go out to surf and they're surfing alone um, actually the first surfing scene that we see, like there's a guy out there surfing. Um, uh, it might be Brutus. I can't remember. Um, and the rest of the guys are just watching on the beach, not out there with him. And then it's not until they give till Brutus gives them the, the, the Nazi salute that they all co- go out there and surf. So, I don't know. There's just so many damn things that happen in this movie that just don't make sense, like I said, and most of it has to do with the editing uh, of things ending abruptly. But what's the best and the the best thing about it, Mama? Yeah, so, so she, when she Yeah, she is she's fantastic. She's she's like this older black woman with like big red sunglasses. Uh she drives motorcycles and screams. She has guns. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. What does she do? What does she do, Preston? Um, she has uh, some of the best lines in the film, too. Uh, like when we were – one of the first scenes where we see her, like, actually talk. She's at a nursing home. So Leroy drops her off there to stay there during the day because her house supposedly, I guess, was burnt down. Uh, we, it, it's weird. Yeah. Like I was saying with the editing, like they'll show you, they'll show you information, but that'll, and, and then you like figure it out later poor, like, cause it, that's poorly put together. If I'm able to try to connect those dots, it's not like it's trying to be ambiguous or anything. And it, it's, uh, or like intentionally just letting me like put the puzzle pieces together. It's just poorly put together and I'm working even harder to try to, uh, connect those dots. Um, but, uh, yeah, mama has this scene where she's uh, sitting down with like other, uh, older ladies at this, uh, house and they're playing poker gambling of some sort. And, um, she says something like, uh, I'm just trying to bring some fresh air in here. You bitches. Or I can't remember what she says <laughs> verbatim, but she'll have like, she'll say like ridiculous stuff like that. And it's so great. Um, like she can deliver like a, a dumb line better than anybody else in that film. Uh, like everybody else is trying to deliver it in a way that uh, feels like it's trying to be a serious film. And then she's uh, hamming it up to 11 and having a good time. Um, so yeah, whenever she gets like the guns and the grenades and is prepared to take all these guys down, like that's when the movie gets, uh, becomes the most fun, especially how she takes out, uh, some of these uh, Nazis, either by grenade or um, 
decapitating them by boat or yeah, whatever else it is, uh, kill them with a harpoon gun. Well, actually, I think somebody else kills them with a harpoon gun, but um, it's just enjoyable uh, to to a certain degree if you like that sort of thing. I'm like I said, I'm not usually into this kind of stuff, but it, it can be fun if you watch it with the right people and you drink uh, watch it with lots of liquor. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, I, don't I agree with that. Else. Yeah, it is. So it's interesting because like critics hated this movie. It's even said that Roger Ebert walked out walked. of the movie yeah, within 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Um, I'm surprised he made it that far. And then some the New York critic, New York Times critic at the time said something like, uh, like not even the relatives of these actors will find anything interesting in this film. Which is crazy because when you watch it, you're like, holy shit, these people had a fun time making this movie. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of strange decisions were made in this film. Like that, it was like the director just like, uh, uh, here's some places around town that look kind of apocalyptic. Uh, let's shoot here, warehouse area, um, vacant lot. Let's just shoot here. Um, all right, guys, um, create something for me. Let's let's do something. And and then like Brutus, there's like one scene of him walking out of a bar, um, and he like just some stranger, just some stranger sitting on the ground, and then some dude. And he just goes up to him and just touches his face kind of romantically and then touches another girl's face that's like right behind him and then walks out. And uh, nothing to be explained. Kind of like uh, earlier in that scene during the bar sequence, uh, another gang member from a different gang, don't know the name of it, but he looks like a redneck uh, bearded dude from <laughs> like Sons of Anarchy or something. And he goes into this bar and then the bartender uh, – Barista asks, um, "What do you? What do you? What would you like?" And he's like, "I'll take the usual." And then she comes over, sits on his lap, pops out her boobs, and <laughs> and then is trying to take like money from him or something. And then his wife comes in, and then uh, is like, "I will cut the the your pretty tits off, bitch," or something like that. <laughs> and what he says is what makes it the most. Uh, like what kind of moment um he says like uh, oh i thought you were home with our kids and i'm like dude what kind of parenting skills are they do they have if they're able to do stuff like this uh so i was like that's a spin-off that i would like to see um so yeah it's it's something all right that's for sure it's it's worth your time. Like say, it's not for everybody, but you should get, you should throw yourself over your threshold and uh, take a look at it. Cause you'll have fun with it. It's pure eighties. The soundtrack is like synthesizers and that fun type of stuff. Rock music. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is uh, on vinyl now too. It came out a few years ago, or re-released on vinyl a few years ago. So it's probably easier to find now. Yeah. Uh, we should also mention real quickly the poster of the film, which you can look up on IMDb. Um, the If you look at the Nazi that's on the poster, um, he's pretty multi-talented. He's, uh, he's holding the machine gun. He has the hook hand, one of the characters in the film who's dressed like 
Clockwork Orange, and yeah, there's another character that's uh, Brutus is actually dressed like the Terminator. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, the, one of the guys has a hook hand. So the poster shows this Nazi with the hook hand, machine gun, and his surfboard has a chainsaw through it. There's no chainsaw in the film, other than like one scene where Mama. Uh, cuts down a tree because she doesn't like her view from her window. Um, <laughs> but uh, not doesn't represent the film very well, but it will have you more in uh, make you want to check it out more. But um, the, the only th- cool thing that they have going on with their surfboards is that they Tarantino or Robert Rodriguez style, they put a knife inside their uh, surfboards to make it shoot out kind of like a taxi driver with this uh, drawer uh, gun that he has up his sleeve. Yes. Um, so um, there's, there's little nuggets sprinkled all throughout. That's kind of funny, kind of cool, really bad. So it's just, it's a mixed pot. It is, it is. It's uh it's, you're you're gonna laugh. Like there's no way. Like like Preston said it perfectly. This is like a midnight film with your friends drinking, uh, yeah. and then talking throughout the whole movie and laughing about it. It is. It, it's a lot of fun. This is one of those movies that you would want to show during a movie marathon uh, to those unsuspecting people who never heard of this movie and are like, "Holy shit, this exists!" And it's so much. It's a good time. Yep. Yeah. That was that was good. I think that brings our twentieth episode to a close. Does it? Yes, it does. Surf Nazis must die. Um, yeah, and we'll be back next week with our twenty-first episode. We're finally legal to do everything, so we're going to have to come up with a very special movie, right? Yeah, I think so. Especially now that we're getting closer and closer to Halloween, um, we're going to have to pick some really good ones from uh, all throughout September going into October. Cause that's, uh, that's where all the good stuff is. Agreed. Agreed. Um, press and where can everybody find you online? You can find me at Preston P R E S T O N Barta B A R T A on Twitter. So Preston Barta. Um, I'm also where you can find, read my work or watch it, whatever. Um, on the Ditton Record Chronicle, so Ditton, D-E-N-T-O-N, Ditton Record Chronicle, so DittonRC.com, and then I'm the features editor of FreshFiction.tv, and I am posting a lot of stuff that James Cole Clay is doing at TIFF, and probably some preview stuff for Fantastic Fest in the coming weeks, and so, yeah, we got stuff up there, uh, up there, uh, none review, that sort of thing. It's good stuff, folks. Go there and follow them and read their articles. They know what they're doing. And I'm Brian Kluger with BoomstickComics.com and HighDefDigest.com. You can find me there in this podcast, my bloody podcast, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Look up the Multimedia Men. Type in Multimedia Men and you'll find us. And we have all sorts of fun shows, including this horror one. We also have a wrestling one. We have a music one. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all groovy babies, but yes, 20th episode down in the hat. We'll see you guys next week. And thank you to the sweet smelling love of my life, Preston Barta. You're very welcome. (laughs) I'll see you soon.